0: Welcome to Life with Rajpal Ball. Today marks episode 19, and I'm joined by my father and my brother, Manpal. And my father's name is Manpreet Ball. And today, we're going to talk about our thoughts, just give our thoughts on Bernie Sanders officially dropping out of the race following the Wisconsin primary, or just following Tuesday, pretty much following like. Whatever happened Tuesday, and what we think this means for the future of the 2020 race, so there might be a couple of hot takes in here, but in general, it's just like our reaction on this, and then, as always, we'll tie it in to the three pillars at the very end. So initially, I was a little bit more skeptical of I was just more skeptical of Bernie running in 2020 compared to 2016, because in 2016, I felt like he did a great job of pointing out a lot of issues, and his base, I get why he did the same exact message in 2020, because that's what his base likes to hear, but at the same time, I think it would have been more effective for Bernie to have ran, or to be like a, not have ran for president, but then be appointed as a VP nominee. Like earlier on in the in the primary season, like what if Biden had Bernie as his VP, going into the debates, right? That would have made the Democratic Party united. My personal opinion, because Biden represents the traditional Democratic establishment, the Blue Dog Democrats, right? And then Bernie represents the up and comer, the up and coming Democrat, the more left wing Democrat, but at the same time is socially, it's. Socially liberal, but also more social, um, like it's also economically liberal, whereas Biden is more economic, fiscally conservative than Bernie is. But socially, there's not as many, there's not as much of a difference between the two. There are still differences, don't get me wrong, but it's not big, a, it's not as big of a difference as their economic philosophies. But I feel like a ticket with Biden and Bernie would have been really powerful. Like, I think going into the race, if you kind of have that, like, meeting, you know, there was this thing called the corrupt bargain with John Quincy Adams and uh, Henry Clay and, like, Secretary of State way back when. And I don't, I'm not advocating for a corrupt bargain, but I am saying there could have and probably should have been a deal between Biden and Bernie that if Biden were to secure the nomination, Bernie would be his VP. Because think of it this way. You have Bernie as VP for eight years, and then he runs as president after being VP. And I think that would just build his credibility even more with the establishment because he's spent eight years under the, the establishment candidate. And my personal opinion with Bernie Sanders is he has, I, I respect his, his willingness to fight, I respect his competitive drive. I respect his advocacy for all groups, especially marginalized groups. But at the same time, there was just no feasible path for him to win the nomination, despite when he, even when he was the front runner. Because superdelegates only exist in the Democratic Party for some reason. I don't know why the Republicans don't have superdelegates. Because believe me, if Republicans had superdelegates, Dad, I think you could probably chip in on this. Trump probably would not have been their nominee in 2016. It would have been Cruz, probably,
1: yeah, if they, if they had superdelegates. The, typically, the party establishment controls the superdelegates, so this mm-hmm. is, again, very hypothetical. And it would have been very controversial, because I don't think that had the Republican Party super, had superdelegates and had they chosen to go against Donald Trump, that all of the people at uh, Trump's base may not have come out to vote or maybe played a spoiler role in the election. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, it could have stopped Donald Trump, but, uh, and, and and it's hard to say, because Donald Trump may have, he's he, he can be a maverick, he may have decided to to go on his own anyways. I, I don't know the logistics, you'd have to look at the logistics of him uh, registering as a candidate for president, but I think it would have been, you know, really the Republican Party would have been completely destroyed, in my view, had the superdelegates intervened, to block Donald Trump, and likewise, I think in the Democratic Party too, if the superdelegates intervene against the leading candidate, I think you know it would have been a very, very divided party, and I could see a very difficult path to victory for whoever whoever the official nominee was
0: yeah that's good good perspective. My big thing is the absence of superdelegates got us a hyper-right president, a really right-wing president, and the presence of superdelegates avoided the potential for a hyper-left-wing president to be in office. So I think superdelegates are there as kind of like a check and balance to, like, limit... It's, it's It's what I like, you know, the voice of moderatism, but at the same time, the establishment is corrupt. So there has to be some new system, right? There... You can't yeah. you can't have superdelegates for one of the two parties and not the other. Because that's just going to make the Republicans even more extreme in terms of representation. And the Democrats are going to be more central, which means all of our policies are going to be right-wing policies. Yeah. Right? Like most of them are going to be right-wing yeah, policies. Yeah, I think a lot of
1: people um, after 2016 thought that superdelegates should be eliminated and go more to the Republican model. So that people mm-hmm. voting or the members voting in the primaries really yeah. have have a voice. And, and a caucus have a voice. And you know, the other thing that maybe if you're gonna look at that is maybe eliminating caucuses altogether and just having primaries where people come yeah. out and vote. Because, uh, you know, caucuses there's some a lot of idiosynchronies synchronies with those and it sometimes comes down to how well you can manipulate the process. Yeah. Whereas you know, but and, but I think what we learned is that, you know, changes in American electrical uh, electrical Electoral procedures is, is very slow mm-hmm. and I don't even see much changes coming up for yeah 2024.:
0: Yeah, there probably won't be many changes for 2024. The hope is that you have a blue you have a like you have some change in terms of the executive branch this time around mm-hmm. and then you see what happens from 2020 to 2024, and then you go from there because Biden, I like him, but he has potential to be a lame duck president. More so than Trump. Because Trump, if Trump, here's the thing with Trump. He's gotten what he wanted to get done, done. Right? So he's not a lame duck president. It's just a lot of the, you know, majority of the American people don't like him. But he's increased his popularity with his base. Right? So there's still going to be that same number of people who come out to the polls in the fall and vote for Trump. Right? And there's going to be the same number of members of the electorate who are willing to vote for Trump because we did not see a major change in the Senate, right? We didn't see a major change in the Senate in 2018, I believe. Yeah. 2018. We didn't see a major change in the Senate and we saw the house change, but Pelosi can't do anything right now. Right. Pelosi really, I think it's, it's just a tough spot. Right. And I think in general with this whole political landscape, I'm looking at Joe Biden and Trump are two choices, right? It's the American people's choice. It's America's choice. I see this race as, why don't, if Biden does a speech, this is all Biden has to say in his speech, in my personal opinion. And he, I think he'll be in it, he'll have a great chance. I am here to increase equity, decrease, Um, Or sorry, increase equity, increase access to health care, especially in rural communities. I'm saying rural communities because you want to appeal to some Republicans. Right. Right. Like, I think that makes sense, like rural communities. And then uh, the other big thing is I want the truth. Right. I want to ensure the truth. And what I mean by the truth is that the news out there isn't as biased as it seems and actually respecting the press and the press respecting the office of the president. Because these past four years have been a total crap show in terms of the relationship between Trump and the press. And now the fact that his press secretary, did you hear about this? The press secretary's gone? And she didn't even hold a single briefing? It's only been Trump doing the briefings. One reason that I would favor biden more than trump right now is because i feel like biden can sway americans further away from the polarization we have right now as we mentioned in earlier episodes Mm -hmm. like right now trump i have a i think trump is the reason for a lot of the polarization between democrats and republicans right now Mm -hmm. because of um how just nonchalant he is and how he's able to just speak his mind and a lot of controversial topics come out of that. And yeah, like Biden, he can unify America again. The reason why Trump is so effective in that strategy is because he just comes across more and more as the common man. Exactly. Right? That's like, it's like kind of, it's very Jacksonian of him, it's, right? I mean, it's smart for him. No, it's because smart. It's because it's work, yeah. yeah, and, and Bi- Biden has the just the voice of moderatism that we need. Exactly. But at the same time, he yeah. needs to pick a running mate who is a black woman. Because then you get the black vote. You'll probably get with with by having the black vote. You'll you'll have a better chance of just winning the minority vote in general, right? Mm -hmm. And then also if you pick someone like Stacey Abrams, someone like Kamala Harris, and my dark horse Michelle Obama, if Michelle Michelle Obama Obama is is picked, it's over. It's over. It's over. Will she accept VP? Who knows. But logistically, if you see, I I follow Barack Obama on Twitter and I see how he tweets President Obama. And he's still very active and clearly is like a lot of Democrats fed up with what's going on in D.C. But he's been surprisingly vocal, like surprisingly from the matter of every time Trump does something big, Obama talks about it. So maybe Michelle might be the um or fir- former first lady Mrs. Obama might be the the p- choice. But I could really see Kamala Harris doing well in that spot. I could see Warren um not Warren. Uh Stacey Abrams who ran for governor of Georgia, she I think and she barely lost. I think she'd do a great job. And most importantly, I think Klobuchar would be great. Uh because Klobuchar is moderate But she also is, she's highly respected. She's a senator, which is big, right? You need a senator. Um, And like I said earlier, if Bernie didn't run, I think he would be a good VP uh, VP nominee. Mm -hmm. But right now, I would definitely just pick a black woman, for sure. Because you want to ensure the black vote, and you want to ensure that you're competitive in the South come election day, right? You want to ensure that you're able to get the North Carolinas and the Floridas of the world and also um Stacey abrams is has strong ties in georgia so maybe you're able to win georgia too which would be a good bonus cuz we can all hear, all three of us can reach the consensus that hillary clinton really screwed up by picking tim Kaine. oh totally like i think she should have picked bernie oh that right been a win that would have really. been a good that would have been a great ticket cuz you had the woman and the male you had the establishment and she had experience in the executive branch, and you had the guy who was able to unify the left wing of the Democratic Party, right? Yeah. That would have been a good ticket in 2016.
1: Yeah, you can make the argument that potentially uh, in some of the battleground states like Ohio, mm-hmm. Michigan, and Pennsylvania, that Bernie would have helped with the white working class vote. Yeah, the blue collar workers. The blue collar yeah. workers, because he had a lot of support and, there. And he won the Michigan primary, and, too. And yeah. you know, depending on some of the reports, you hear that the people that voted from from that were blue collar in those states, uh, some of them ended up voting for Trump instead of Hillary Clinton, and that mm-hmm. may have cost Hillary Clinton in those states because the
0: the the voting was very very close. It's, it's a good point. I remember a lot of CNN features in twenty sixteen of this family of union workers and just blue collar workers, like we said, mm-hmm. car car automobile industry, right. Mm-hmm. And they all, the headline was Ohio Democrat who voted for Trump, right? So this guy is like a registered Democrat his whole life, but just because he he yeah. relates, it's the key is relatability, right? Yeah, and Trump had... Trump did know, a better job Trump than was, Clinton.
1: Yeah, and, and Trump also um, was very vocal in his uh, disdain for the North American free trade agreements. Which and, helped the uh, which domestic helped, industry. You know, which, which a lot of people in those days believe uh, led to a loss of a lot of jobs they were shipped to mexico mm-hmm. and even to canada and yeah. then trump that was one of trump's big uh platforms uh you know one of the keys to his platform was that he would eliminate uh the north american food trade agreement now he did do that and he re- renegotiated a new one and, and then time will tell if the new one is just really you know papering over a few different Pippering over a few things and just essentially the same agreement again, but uh, he, he that was a big uh, point of emphasis for him in the two thousand and sixteen election and it helped him with a white working class vote and potentially, if Bernie was there, he could have appealed to some of their other insecurities, like health care, and also Bernie was anti uh, free trade as well, m- much more so than Hillary, because Hillary's husband was the one who actually negotiated the North America Free Trade Agreement. Mm-hmm. And it was an- under Bill Clinton that that agreement was implemented, which uh, many people in the Midwest blamed for a loss of a lot of factory jobs, a lot of loss of a lot of auto uh, industry jobs. So Trump really was, uh, you know, from a political perspective, he really zeroed in on that and it got him a lot of votes.
0: Mm-hmm. So, we're looking back. We we're this episode. We were able to look forward to what's coming ahead. Gave our analysis on Bernie dropping out, what it meant for the future of the, you know, the twenty twenty race, and then we were able to kind of tie it all back into twenty sixteen and the past, mm-hmm. and now, of course, we got to do the signature tie it into the three pillars.
1: Just one more point, though. Um, I'd like to quickly make, mm-hmm. and you noticed that. Uh, after Bernie dropped out, one of the proposals that Joe Biden had was that he would decrease the age for Medicare eligibility to 60 years from 65, not quite the Medicare for all that Bernie Sanders had campaigned on, but a nod to Bernie Sanders supporters to see you know if going to increasing or decreasing the Medicaid eligibility age to 60 years would entice some of them to vote for joe biden so it's clear that health care will be a big issue in the 2020 yeah. election and i think for joe biden to win he really has to have a strong differentiation from donald trump in health care and i'm not sure from some of the hardcore bernie supporters whether going to 60 will, will be really enough flip to trump or biden sorry yeah we'll flip to biden just because of that but you kind of get a sense of how important healthcare is and how important in the Democratic Party and among the base. Yeah. Because that was one of the first things that Biden did after Bernie dropped out.
0: Yeah. Like, good point is that's a good point. And also, like, like we mentioned kind of earlier, is as it, like we said for Joe Biden's potential speech, mm. I'm going to try to increase equity and increase healthcare, especially in rural communities, but more importantly, just work closer towards Medicare for all. Because Obama's big, you know, Obamacare, right? Yeah, which was that, originally... Biden was the VP for Obamacare. Yeah, so and, and Obamacare
1: actually was originally, uh, came from the, it was a very Republican idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came from the Heritage Foundation. Mm-hmm. It was a keystone of Republican policy, but the Republican Party moved so far to the right yep. that uh, Obama was able, <laughs> able to, to do come it in and... And swoop and in and take it. ...sweep in and take it, so... You know, in a way, it shows you how much how rightward American politics I, have shifted.
0: I, I just had an um, aha moment. Biden could just push re- reinstating Obamacare. Yeah, that think, would be a big that would be a big thing. That would be a big plus, right? I
1: think it would be in some states, but I think you know just from in the south, the, from the base, not, but... just from the Democratic Party base, and to motivate to come out, uh, from, to motivate for them to come out to vote, which is very important. In any election, because at the end of the day it comes down to turnout, he's gonna to have to do a bit more than just reinstate and re-emphasize Obamacare, because as you can see, he's he already mentioned that he'll lower Medicare lower to Medicare sixty. to sixty. So he he's gonna have to sort of do much in my, much more radical my, in yeah. a Republican sense. Yeah, yeah. be a a, a bit more, more drastic
0: change, more drastic change than just reinstating Obamacare. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Because so a,
1: yeah, because Obamacare. It, it, it was better than what's there before, but still, for a lot of Americans, it's a very expensive proposition. And on top of that, you're paying a lot of money, but then you still have these very high deductibles, out-of-pocket expenses. So it, Obamacare only comes in handy if you have some very serious medical event. But, you know, in many of the plans, you're still paying five $6,000 out-of-pocket a year, which for many, many, many Americans, that's a huge cost. Yep. And... uh
0: Finally, just tie it all back into the three pillars. Physically it's better for the race if Joe Biden advocates for universal health care or at least one of the two candidates advocates for health care for all. Cause COVID nineteen should uh, you know, open people's eyes, right? Especially the establishment. It can't all just be about the top dogs anymore. You gotta help out those who are suffering in the hospitals, you're primarily, you know, minorities and, uh, you know, underprivileged minorities, right? So, and then socially, you want someone, like we said, who can unify the country. You want a voice of moderatism, but at the same time, you want to ensure that you're getting closer to leveling the playing field so we don't have to go through this Another policy like affirmative action or something that has, it's good in intention, but bad in execution. And that's time for, we'll talk about that in another podcast episode. And the third thing is the professional pillar. Professionally, you as a politician, as someone running for office, as someone who's behind the scenes, the key message is, I want to give you better access to health care. I want to decrease socioeconomic inequality. I want to try to get closer to equity, like try to actually achieve equity. And I want, to, I want to make sure that the truth is being told at all times from myself and from the media. I want transparency from both angles. I don't want a lot of American people worrying about where their next meal is coming from, right? and i don't want to feel guilty that it's because of my policies that they're not getting their next meal right it's politics is all about putting laying it all on the line but at the same time you're able to use your own rational self-interest to get to a position of influence and once you get to that position of influence you're able to reshape society for the greater good and to do and to reshape society for the greater good you need to ensure that people feel that they are being represented well and when i mean people i mean everyone in the american populace not just the not just the ones pulling pulling the strings everyone needs to feel represented and the way to do that is by getting people who don't really pull str- strings or don't have the resources to pull strings is getting them access or increasing their access to careers where they can start pulling strings eventually, right? And then transition into a career where they can have influence in the private and public sectors because that's how really, those are the guys who really have the influence behind American politics and those are the guys who really maximize their professional pillars. But thank you guys so much for listening and have a great night.